This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week I'm joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham to review the stories that made the business and market headlines as well as look forward to the business week ahead. And it was another dramatic week. It is not too late to save Brexit. We have time. We have changed tack once and we can change again. There's been no president ever as tough as I have been on Russia. President Putin knows that better than anybody. He's not happy about it and he shouldn't be happy about it because there's never been a president as tough on Russia as I have been. Restrictions on mobile phone manufacturers and network operators to make sure that they could cement uh, the dominant position of Google Search. It's in line with, with our fines uh, in, in other antitrust uh, abuses. Uh, in the sum, it's a rather big fine, but it is proportional uh, to the offense to the illegal behavior by Google. Let's get the thoughts of Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. How are you doing, Craig? I'm very good, mate. It's been a, it's been a lovely week. Uh, unfortunately, we can't hope for the weather to last too much longer, so I'm very much enjoying it while it lasts. Well, you can be sure as soon as the school holidays start, it'll start to rain. <laughs> um, what was your market moment of the week? I think my market moment of the week, uh, again, as always, or as always seems to be the case, does relate to Trump. The reason being is he had this interview yesterday evening with CNBC, and he did something which, even by his own standards, is somewhat controversial, uh, somewhat unusual. And that is he had something very strong to say about what the Federal Reserve is doing. Now, just to stress why that's such a big and important thing, the Federal Reserve, in its very nature, is independent. And the reason why it's independent is because the prospect of crossing over monetary and fiscal policy is seen as somewhat dangerous if you give politicians control of interest rates, then naturally they will want to keep interest rates lower for as long as possible in order to try and continue to stimulate and drive the economy. The risk with that is, is you overstimulate the economy, you trigger a recession, and the longer run, you're worse off for it. So one of the benefits of independence is that you have one set of people focusing on what's best fiscally for the country. You have another set of people who are focused on stability. Now, Trump very much weighed in on the monetary policy side of things complaining about interest rates rising even though in his election campaign i must stress he did say that the higher interest rates were good and they should be higher in the u.s but in weighing in on this he's trying to pile pressure onto drone powell he said he's willing to let them uh let, let them raise interest rates and use their better judgment but again that idea of let them do this that is not his job to let them do anything the independence is meant to be respected and that is not happening right now And what that's led to is he's commenting now a lot on currency manipulation, suggesting that China's manipulating its currency. And if anything, actually, in recent weeks, it's been supporting the currency, which has been falling. He's he's, he's arguing that Europe is manipulating its currency, which is completely absurd. The the country, the the region is in a far different place than the US economy in terms of the recovery. So the weakness in 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 the currency... And the uh, the policy from the central bank is very much a reflection of that and nothing to do with the US. Now, again, what makes this so infuriating uh, for many people watching is the fact that Trump is deflecting. He's deflecting away from the fact that it's his policies that are causing this. If you want to take an already hot economy, which he has, and 
add to that tax reforms, which cut taxes for the, for, for the entire country and for corporations, you're going to stimulate the economy. And in order to ensure stability, economic stability in the long run, while maximising employment and ensuring price stability, the Federal Reserve has to respond by raising rates quicker. So you are in yourself responsible for that. And that tends to have an impact of strengthening the currency. And if you want to impose trade sanctions or trade uh, tariffs on a country like China that, impl- that, that relies so heavily on exports and manufacturing, you are going to dent confidence in that economy. And in pricing that, the currency is going to drop. So you're also responsible for that as well. I can't understand why, uh, why he continues to deflect away from something which is so self-inflicted but more importantly i can't understand why people buy it because it's absolutely absurd and at some point people have to realize that when he's going to take credit when these if the if and when these things go well he has to take responsibility when they go badly that's part and parcel of being a leader you say you can't understand why he's doing this, but there are three words, mid-term elections. I mean, they've played a big part in the statements. And, of course, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Um, he's not the world's greatest economist by any stretch of the imagination. And he says things for um, political purposes rather than economic ones. He does, but the problem is you're, he, he's... he's having a negative impact for confidence in the markets. And there's going to come a point when people are going to start to take, and not just people who oppose him, there's going to be people who previously supported him who are going to start to take things he says with a pinch of salt because they know he's just trying to send the message. Aren't they doing that already? They are. I, I, believe, I truly believe that there's going to be a number of people out there who are going to start realising that a lot of what he says is for his own benefit and you can't necessarily believe the substance of it. You said that this was very controversial, what he said this week, and this is in the same week that he said that Russia wasn't involved in the US election in 2016, and he also invited President Putin uh, to the United States. So (laughs) where do you start with controversy? I mean, this is just a cacophony of controversy week by week. Yeah, I think the the phrase is, is it a firestorm and a teacup? or He he very much did anger a lot of people and i'm not even talking again his opponents he he angered a lot of people in the republican party uh in this statement he made in russia earlier on this week he in supporting putin and and, and suggesting that he believes putin's word when he says that there was no uh there was no interference from russia against the advice of his own intelligence services he's angered a lot of people he changed his mind though didn't he and to think that the only rebuttal he had against this was that he said did rather than did not i mean it's absolutely incredible this has been this has been i think in many people's eyes particularly outside of the u.s this has been a really embarrassing week for trump because he's treating people like they're idiots and i think it's about time that people realize that he cannot continue to just talk his way out of these situations, cause a firestorm and let the people in the background clear these things up. It was Sarah Sanders who was trying to clear up the did versus did not, who was trying to clear up also um, comments he made um, at the end of a press conference. It's, it seems like people are constantly clearing up his mess and at some point he has to take responsibility. He is the leader of the free world. He has a responsibility to act maturely he has a responsibility to act uh, in a way that's befitting of his position but he did also say that um, and complain that a strengthening dollar 
has been hurting US business. He's right about that. He is right about that. And that is a part, again, part and parcel of an economy growing stronger. If you want to take part in a free market where you have a free floating currency and you fully believe, as he claims to, that that one of the the benefits of the free markets uh, and and be a proponent of the benefits of the free markets, then you have to accept that the reason why the currency is getting stronger against other countries is because your economy is doing better than other countries. And there's a reason why these things work. You can't complain when they work against you. And more importantly, you can't just blame everyone else for your own problems. He should be glad that the Fed is raising interest rates. He should be glad that the economy, that the pound, that the dollar is strengthening because it's because the economy is doing so well. And if anything, the Fed's doing him a favor. If the Fed is ensuring that in two years' time, the economy will hopefully still be on a steady footing because of the actions that they have taken. And yes, it may, may mean that he has to concede that he's not going to get 4% growth because of it. But if he gets 3.5% growth for the next five years or 3% growth for the next five years, that's far better than 4% growth for the next two years and then a recession. But is that going to happen with this trade war looming? Uh, we've had a number of predictions, IMF for one, uh, about the cost to the global economy of a trade war, particularly with China. And uh, Trump says he's ready to uh, intensify uh, the trade war with China by slapping tariffs on all $500 billion worth of imports from the country. So he hasn't finished yet. No, one thing that Donald Trump is not doing is he's not bluffing. He is willing to go as far as it takes to get what he wants. He may start to take a step back if the economic impacts start to become more significant. But at the moment, the economic impact has been minimal. Um, we there, there are going to be the prices of certain objects, such as washing machines in the US, which are going to be rising now as a result of the tariffs. But until that starts to have a negative impact for the economy or on the voter base or on the poll numbers ahead of these midterm elections, I think you're going to see Trump continue to double down on these efforts in an attempt to get what he wants. Now, I think it's worth stressing here. I'm not suggesting that what Donald Trump is going for is necessarily a bad thing. I don't think dialogue with Russia is necessarily a bad thing. We have to remember that if reports are to be believed and if the evidence is to be believed, they have done some bad things uh, over the last number of years at least. We look at Crimea, we look at the poisoning in the UK, etc., which has been met with sanctions and uh, uh, diplomats being expelled. Well, we we heard Trump at the beginning of this saying that he was (laughs) tougher on... Russia than any other US president. Of course, Trump does say these things and uh, he, I don't know whether he believes them or not, but he says them. Well, he, I guess he, it's not the case that he's been tougher, although he will always say that he's been the hardest, the toughest, the yeah. best. We yeah. Let's take these things with a pinch of salt. I think everyone can at this stage. But he has been tough on Russia in that he has expelled 40 diplomats. He has imposed very tough sanctions. He has done a lot of things that would suggest that he is taking this position seriously on that set. Unless he's just diverting attention away from his own problems with uh, the accusations regarding the election and Russia. And you can't, uh, you absolutely can't discount that in the slightest. But I do think dialogue with Russia is necessary as the uh, yeah. as a major world leader. I do think dialogue with uh, North Korea is arguably um, uh, necessarily necessary as well if you are going to ease some of these tensions. When you're looking at the, the the what he's going after China for in terms of intellectual property, even the EU, it would appear, agrees with what what he's doing or the reasons behind what he's doing on this. What people universally do not agree with is the approach he is taking in order to achieve it. This hostile approach against what he refers to quite commonly as allies, not to mention his constant attempts in the media, in public, to interfere in other people's politics. He's constantly done it in Germany. He did it in the UK before coming here. He does it everywhere. And 
people are unhappy. This is the side of Trump that people are particularly unhappy about, not to mention this constant deflection. Like I, like I said earlier in the program, if you are going to do something, you have to stand by your judgment. You have to believe that what you're doing is correct, and there's no denying that that's what he thinks. And then if you're going to take credit for it in the long run, if things are taking a negative turn in the short run, you have to own these problems. And I know we can't always rely on politicians to do so, but to just constantly blame everyone else, it's getting tiresome. That was Craig Earlham, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> let's cross the pond and talk about our own uh, difficulties here in the UK. Uh, before we talk about Brexit, I wanted to ask you about the inflation figures and the Bank of England and what uh, it might do about the Consumer Prices Index remaining unchanged at 2.4%. That's now for three months in a row, according to the ONS. And that was below economists' expectations, they thought maybe 2.6%. But we've had deflation in clothes and games and uh, other uh, items, toys and things like that. So um, the big question is, has this affected the likelihood of an interest rate rise in August? I think a lot of markets think so because the pound has had one of its worst weeks this week. Yeah, I think it ultimately should. I'm not convinced at this stage that it will. So I guess the answer to this is twofold. One, yes, the inflation data was much worse. And in fact, core inflation fell to 1.9%, which is actually below the Bank of England's uh, 2% target. We also had the negative uh, re uh, the, the negative retail sales data as, as well. The jobs report was a bit mixed. It was largely in line, but there was some interesting figures in there, like highest ever employment, highest ever number of job openings since record began. So there was some positive components there. What was interesting was when you look at the retail sales figure, and it coincides as well with the inflation number as well, we were expecting this big jump because the second half of June in particular, we had some fantastic weather, which gets people out outside. We had the World Cup and everything, and everyone was enjoying it, which gets people into bars and restaurants. We expected that this was going to mean higher retail sales and in, potentially even higher inflation. If people want to start putting up prices because they know the crowds are going to be there regardless, that wouldn't necessarily come as a surprise to anyone. But in fact, in fact, it was different because while the bars and restaurants did incredibly well, that affected footfall in actual retail. So what we yeah. saw in retail was we saw a few less less footfall, but also discounting in order to try and drag people back in. And that actually had negative consequences for both the retail sales side, but also the inflation side as well. There was a triple whammy, wasn't there? People not going out in the evening because they were watching uh, the World Cup at home. The, the weather uh, meant that they were staying out as well in the daytime. And, uh, and of course, you, you mentioned earlier before, uh, there were people who were going to bars and restaurants, but not actually thinking about retail, which is, uh, I suppose, good news in some respects for those people who don't want an interest rate rise. Bad news for us tourists about to go on our holidays. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. I mean, I think we we need to take something that, that with the, the pound move with a bit of a uh, a bit lightly because while it was a bad week for the pound, we're only back at around one thirty, so we were we weren't too far above here only a couple of weeks ago. Um, from the Bank of England perspective, though, as I said, I don't think it necessarily changed its plans. Not because it shouldn't, because it, I. I've said this for a number of months now. I don't see the point in raising rates in August when in November you may have a much better idea of what we're looking like from a Brexit perspective. Is Absolutely. there going to be a no-deal scenario? And if there is, this is not the environment to be raising interest rates in. But the Bank of England's massively backed itself into a corner. It really wanted to raise interest rates in May. It Remind me what the MPC vote was uh, last time out. 
the MPC vote last time out was 5-3. to three. We had Andy Haldane who joined uh, Ian McCafferty and Michael Saunders in voting for an interest rate hike. So we are really borderline at this stage. One more vote leaves it an even keel um, uh, and two more votes means we get a rate hike. But the Bank of England really backed itself into a corner because in May it clearly signalled that it wanted to raise rates. Last minute it changed its stance on this because the data in the first quarter was weak. Because of the weather. They said they think it was the weather, but they didn't want to raise just in case it wasn't. I think that was the time to pull the trigger if they really wanted to go. But now they've left themselves in a position where a lot of the data has improved in the second quarter or since that May meeting, which means that August would naturally seem like a a good time to raise instead. But the problem is you're now so close to the end of these Brexit negotiations and they're not going brilliantly. we're, We're close to the end. Well, oh, well, the ideally, of the end. they wanted a, a deal <laughs> by. <laughs> they wanted a deal by October. It's probably more likely to be November, December time. So I think yeah. November will have a much better idea of uh, of whether we're heading for a no deal Brexit or whether we're de- heading for some form of softer uh, or, or, or or relatively reasonable um, Brexit. So. That would make more sense, but the problem is, again, they've really stuck to this idea that the economy's bounced back from the second quarter. I personally think they really want to raise rates. We saw even comments today from uh, Tenreiro, I think is the correct pronunciation, uh, and she was saying that uh, the PMIs have definitely improved. Again, it could be temporary though, couldn't it? Moving, moving the focus away from the the, the softer than expected retail sales figure, mm. moving di- attention away for uh, attention away from the inflation figure onto something that's more positive. The markets seem to really ba- believe that the Bank of England is going to follow through because yes, uh, the egg market markets were pricing in around an eighty percent chance of. Uh, an interest rate increase after the jobs report, but then that fell to about 68% uh, after the retail sales figure. This isn't a massive drop, and people long see the the 70% kind of threshold as this line where the central banks will typically follow through. My gut instinct right now is that they will raise interest rates in two weeks unless they put in a big PR effort to convince markets otherwise, and we're not seeing that yet. But it's only going to be a quarter point though, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not it's nothing. It's the message it sends, and to be honest, it's the humiliation that comes with reversing course in the future, yeah. which is something that they'll want to avoid. So that's the surprise. That's the that's the difficult thing with this. They'll probably end up raising rates and then praying that things take a, a more positive turn on Brexit. I think you're right. Let's go to Brexit. And earlier we heard Boris Johnson saying it wasn't too late to save Brexit in that speech in the House of Commons on Monday. I think it was. It's been a very very long week. Uh, And now we've had uh, Theresa May in Northern Ireland. And I was thinking about Northern Ireland and Ireland, how this could actually work in the government's favour. Because the one EU country that needs a good deal with the United Kingdom is Ireland. They are so dependent for trade across that border and with us. They surely, the Irish, are putting the EU under pressure behind closed doors to make sure that a deal is done and there is no hard Brexit. But God help them and God help everybody else if it doesn't go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think Ireland want uh, Ireland and Northern Ireland want a Brexit which doesn't compromise that border as much as the rest of us. I do think the EU has not wavered. It's worth noting people were questioning whether the closer we got to the deadline, whether the EU would start to waver on the importance of this um, of, of of no hard border in Northern Ireland, but they very very much stood firm with the Republic of Ireland, and I think that's extremely important that people continue to take this seriously and only uh, come to an agreement once a once a solution is found. And while that solution may not be perfectly clear right now, I do th- it, the the the, the we, this 
talk, this conversation can't progress until they find one. And if that means that until one's found, the entire of the UK stays in uh, this customs union single market, so be it. Because ultimately, the last thing we want is for a breach of the Good Friday Agreement. We do not want more infighting in Northern Ireland. Uh, and we do not want everyone pointing the finger at whose fault it is. Um, a solution needs to be found. And I'm delighted that everyone is continuing to take this seriously. Yes. Um, well, it, it is a mess, though, isn't it? I mean, to say the least. And uh, we've had uh, Monsieur Barnier um, commenting today. He said that they were not going to negotiate on the basis of the white paper because that's the British paper, although we could use many elements of the white paper. He says there's not an awful lot of justification for the EU running the risk of weakening the single market. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what to say about some of these things which the politicians do come out with because Barnier sounds to me, and this is the message I hear from that, is he's saying, we will not be told what to do, although we do like a lot of those ideas. Now, you, you again, you, we have to take what the politicians say with a pinch of salt. The most important thing which we have to acknowledge here is, one, the white paper's not going to be popular universally in the UK particularly among the Brexiteers, but no Brexit deal eventually is going to appease anyone. It's going to annoy 48% of people who voted to remain, and then there is a wide variety of Brexit scenarios, and I believe that different people who voted for Brexit, or the people that I speak to who voted for Brexit, they voted for different scenarios. Some voted primarily on immigration. Some pri pr voted primarily on sovereignty. Some voted primarily on wanting to do trade deals. And the list goes on. And some people may have voted for all of it. Let's not ig ignore that fact as well. But it Some means people didn't know what they were voting for. Some people may not have known what they were voting for or at least had been misled to believe that they were voting, for example, for £350 million a week extra for the NHS. People were voting for very different things or uh, and some, like I say, will have been voting for the whole package. But what is important is that if we do compromise on any of these areas, there is going to be a group of people who are going to be annoyed that they've not got the Brexit which they wanted. And if we compromise on any of them, then people who voted for the whole lot will be annoyed that we... That we voted that hence, they... Hence the call for a second referendum. Exactly, and I think that's entirely controversial in itself because, again, I don't think when you put a deal to the public, I, I, I am extremely convinced by the fact that if you combine the Remain voters with the people who voted for a no-deal Brexit... Uh, if we do go for a soft Brexit, or you combine the Remain voters with the people who wanted a soft Brexit, close ties to Europe, 350 million for the NHS and control of our borders. No matter which way you look at this, the numbers added to Remain mean that you get a majority for the people who don't like the New Deal. I think there's going to be a small portion of people, or at least uh, less than half of the country, are going to prefer the deal to what they had initially. And that is always that is why we cannot have a second referendum, because ultimately will lead to two and a half years that have been wasted in negotiations, all to remain back in the EU, and the divisions in the country will scar this country, from my perspective, for a long time, because everyone who voted to leave the European Union in 2016 will never forget the fact that they voted to leave the European Union and that was not uh, delivered on. That is my personal view. And that Sounds is very pessimistic. It does sound very pessimistic, but I think we also have to be a little bit of a realist as well and realise that we were the, the, the vote in 2016 was one that was very clear and straightforward, the status quo, and one that was very arbitrary. And one of the dangers of the arbitrary one was going to be the fact that everyone would have their own vision on what it was. And you know, if you speak to people who say, 
I'm happy with a no deal Brexit and anyone who voted Brexit knew that this was a possibility. Nonsense. So Absolute it's, nonsense. It is it is nonsense because we were promised so many things and this was one of the misleading aspects from both sides during the campaign is that we were constantly told things which weren't necessarily true. The three hundred and fifty million extra for the NHS is a prime example of that because as numerous experts that some people hate to pay attention to have said since that 350 million a year, uh, that 350 million a week is going to be lost purely in lost economic growth in the first place so that 350 million a week doesn't exist or at least a large portion of that just doesn't exist so to retain some balance though craig the economy's doing okay and i know you're probably going to say well the global economy's doing even better than uh, the uk's so we'll wait and see and nothing's actually happened yet yeah, the economy the economy is doing is is doing better than many expected, and I think that's a positive thing, and I think that's something we should be very happy with. The real test for the economy is going to come once we leave, ultimately, because that's when the businesses are going to make the decision on whether they stay here or they leave. Is that definitely going to happen? Is what going to happen? Are we definitely going to leave? I think we will, and I think we should at this point. Ninety percent, isn't the, it? The, the, the vote the vote happened, and I think we need we've made our bed, we need to sleep in it, and I think we can make a success of this, and that is why. No matter how much people want to complain and people want to um, to downplay the efforts that Theresa May has made, and you can question anything she's done, she is trying to find a Brexit solution that follows through on what people primarily voted for, which is A, to leave the European Union, and I do believe that things like control of your borders and immigration was a key component of the vote leave, so that's something which she has to find a way to deliver on. She has to find a way to deliver on um, things like being able to strike new trade deals and regain sovereignty and control of your laws. They were key components of the vote as well, so she has to deliver on these things, but she can't do so entirely at the expense of a trade relationship with the EU, because if you destroy the economy or if you severely damage the economy and this is not scaremongering if you severely damage the economy with tariffs uh with with wto tariffs in the process while doing that you will be seen as the prime minister who ruined our economy not the prime minister who delivered brexit right we don't have time to talk about google's fine um (laughs) because we've covered a a a broad range but at length today it's been absolutely fascinating but um i would like to know about the week ahead though yeah, the week ahead again is going to be interesting. From the political side of things, we have to um, we have to always keep an eye on what Trump is doing and what Trump's saying, what the interviews doing, the trade war, uh, and now which is developing with a currency war aspect. I don't think that's going away next week. I think the currency war is probably going to be more in focus to an extent than the trade war because the depreciation in the yuan means that it's almost offsetting the majority of the tariffs, which are going to the ten percent tariffs, which has been proposed to be imposed. In China, so I think this is going to be become more of a currency war story. That's going to be extremely prevalent now over the weekend. We also have an ECB monetary policy meeting. We learned a lot from the last one, so I'm not expecting this to be uh, to, to, to be too much um, uh, to shake things up in this meeting. But obviously, we need to pay, pay close attention to it. We've got for, we've got second quarter GDP from the US. We've got PMI readings from the eurozone, and also we've got a third uh, of the S and P 500 and Dow Jones reporting earnings in the next week. So it's going to be far from uninteresting. Craig Earlham, have a very good week. Speak to you again soon. Thank you. That's Craig Earlham, Oanda senior market analyst. And don't forget, you can hear this podcast on iTunes or whichever platform you use. Have a good week.
That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.